This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Walk Podcast. My name is Alex Brownsell and I'm the head of content for Walk Media. Today we're going to be talking about media trends and the key themes that will shape the media industry in 2023. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Dan Calladine, Head of Media Futures for Dentsu International. Um, Now for several years Dan has stared into the uh, metaphorical tea leaves to predict the future of media and he's just released his latest report on that subject, Change and Opportunity. Welcome Dan. Hello and thank you for having me. Delighted to have you on the podcast. Um, now, your report, I believe, is split into three categories, uh, content, commerce and community. And um, I think you have a trend that you're going to share with us in each of those categories. So um, should we get started with content? Yes, that's right. So um, this year we split them into three categories. We used a nice bit of alliteration, um, content, commerce and community. And I think a lot of the things that we look at can be divided into these these three different categories. So when we talk about content, what we're really talking about is effectively how people spend their time. So whether it's watching online streaming, watching linear TV, watch, uh, playing a video game, listening to a podcast, but also within content, we talk about the whole area of the attention economy. So obviously people who uh, you know, control apps like TikTok and Instagram know an awful lot about the attention that the different different pieces of content are generating within the platform. But as advertisers, we're starting to get to understand the sort of attention that the adverts that we create and the adverts that our that our clients um, put out, we we're starting to get to the point where we can identify how much attention they're generating as well. But the trend within this this section that I really wanted to talk about was how was about AVOD and SVOD. So with AVOD, what we're talking about is ad-funded video on demand. Um, so for example, watching YouTube on your TV is ad-funded video on demand because you're choosing exactly what you want to watch. But SVOD is, you know, your typical Netflix where you're paying, you know, up to £15 a month and you're getting access to all the content that they've got on their platform. And what we're starting to see is the amount of time people are spending with ad-funded video on demand overtaking the amount of time they spent with the subscription uh, subscription version. And the reasons for this are twofold. One is um, there's simply more content out there, which is ad-funded. And, you know, as a very good example, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe maybe just last week, I think just last week, uh, Netflix introduced the ad-funded model for the first time. So I think very few people will be watching it um, yet. But if you get, if you see the advert, on your uh, on your social media streams or whatever, you can click on that and you can change your Netflix subscription to be ad funded and save some money doing that. Um, but I think by about you know sort of Q two second half of next year, I think we probably see quite a lot of people doing that. So what we're seeing is more opportunity uh, for people to watch ad funded video on demand, and this is becoming um, it, we're getting to the point where we're getting real volume, particularly in markets like the States, where if you're buying a TV campaign, it's essential to really buy both linear, but also the ad-funded video on demand so that you can actually reach all of the people that you want to reach. And there's all sorts of measurement and metrics and ways you can plan the um, the ad-funded content as well. You can you know, potentially 
advertise only to people who haven't been exposed to the advertising on linear TV. Um, you know, within within some setups, you can do that. So I think it's really interesting um, that there are now many more opportunities for marketers to reach people with their messages. I mean, it was always the case that an hour I spend watching a documentary on Netflix is an hour that I'm not exposed to any advertising because effectively, you know, I've paid the premium on Netflix to get an ad-free experience. But I think, um, you know, increasingly we're going to see brand messages creeping into Netflix, both in terms of spot advertising for the people who opt for that model. But then also what I think is um, that more and more of these channels are becoming much more open to brands being involved with the content they're creating. We already see a lot of ad-funded content on platforms like Amazon. And I think we're going to start to see that on things like Netflix and potentially Disney Plus and potentially Apple TV Plus as well, as they look for additional revenue, um, additional revenue opportunities. Because I think if you're, um, you know, if you're someone like Netflix and you're entirely dependent for your revenue on people subscribing to your service, when we enter a global recession and suddenly 20 percent of people decide to cancel their subscription in January or something because you know had their energy bills or they're paying for Christmas or whatever, then obviously that's a pretty bad position for the streamers to be in. And if they have another um, another revenue source like advertising, then potentially they can spread the risk of that sort of thing happening. It's it's an interesting change in in momentum in the industry, isn't it? Because I think there was wasn't too long ago where I think there were genuine concerns that a lot of uh, AV consumption was moving into ad free environments. That you know where were brands going to fit in 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 a world where actually people just subscribe to avoid advertising? Do you think that um that actually what has driven this is is primarily the, the kind of current economic situation and and that this is you know. The way that these companies are responding is is trying to find incremental revenue through advertising. Then, yeah, I I think there's a lot of that. I think that there's both the consumer side, but there's also the business side. I think um, another thing that's happening is, you know, in addition to cost of living, what we're seeing is um, interest rates go up. Interest rates rising, uh, you know, can have a really big impact on people like Netflix and and the other streamers. And you know, for for the whole of the um, the sort of tech economy, I mean, we've been through a sort of fantastic period. Um, you know, that we may look back very fondly on in history of very, very low interest rates. And I think for that reason, we've seen a lot of sort of, well, I think, I think at Google, they refer to them as moonshots, but effectively companies having, you know, very advanced ideas and really pushing the boat out on them and really trying to um, see, you know, if they build something, whether people will like it. And you can, you know, look at things like virtual reality you could potentially look at things like voice control um, and, you know, the Amazon Echo and things like that. If people effectively or, or companies effectively making these devices because they're in an era of historically low interest rates of, of very cheap money to borrow. Um, and also for consumers, you know, again, quite easy to afford these things if they take out loans or if they, you know, if they need to borrow to get them. So I think I think almost as an existential thing, the way we look at trends may change over the over the next few years, um, because we have been in an era where quite often trend reports feature things like, you know, and I'm we're we're guilty of, we're as guilty of this as other people, of people saying, um, you know, let's look at virtual reality or let's look at let's look at smart speakers, let's look at voice and things like that, simply because um, 
it was comparatively cheap in terms of things like borrowing money um, for companies to produce these devices and put a lot of investment into things like virtual reality, augmented reality, um, smart speakers, those sorts of things, without necessarily needing to get all that much of an instant return on them. So I think the way we think about trends could change over the next few years as a result of the economic situation that we're going into. And, you know, the day we're speaking, the day after the UK budget, and that was pretty stark in terms of warnings of, okay, you know, we're entering a new situation now. Uh, so Dan, just coming back to uh, AVOD, um, one of the acronyms that we're hearing a lot and there seems to be a lot of buzz around at the moment is is FAST. And is this is this a potential other alternative for, for brands that's going to become more prevalent next year? Well, as, as far as I'm concerned, FAST, which stands for free ad-supported television, is exactly the same as AVOD because AVOD stands for ads, ad-supported video on demand. So I think essentially... They're the same thing, but it's just different people. Um, different people have different terms for it. Um, but again, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more, a lot more options. I think in the states there are, you know, there's an even bigger choice in terms of ad funded, um, ad funded channels that you can opt into. And I think as well, I mean, as a you know, as a viewer, you almost have to keep a list of things you want to watch on Disney Plus, things you want to watch on Apple TV Plus things you want to watch on Netflix and then sort of either, um, you know, decide to subscribe to something for a month and then, and then blitz it or, um, you know, the, the ads, the ad supported model potentially allows you to have, you know, three or four streamers maybe for the, for the price of, um, you know, less, if, less, if you're doing completely on the premium. Um, and that means that you can effectively treat it as, as like, um, standard TV and just change the channel whenever you want to. And not really worry about what channel something's on. So I think that's another potential motivation for consumers as well. Uh, and what else from a content standpoint do you think we should be keeping an eye on then next year? Uh, well, I think I, well, I think I think on the on the TV thing, I think what's really interesting is how the ad formats develop. So I remember the early days of mobile and a lot of people being very skeptical because if um, in the very early days, essentially the banners on your mobile phone the ads on your mobile phone were banners and they were sort of essentially scaled down 468 um, 468 banners that you see on a website and so initially with mobile those were the sort of ad options and you can see why people were very skeptical about it but then what you had was um, people like snapchat coming along with really unique ways of putting advertising onto a mobile phone um, that would take up the full screen and would use things like augmented reality so i think there's also great potential when you think about the creativity of somebody like Netflix and potentially how playful they are, you know, the, the Bandersnatch um, uh, episode of Black Mirror a few years ago, the idea that you can use your remote to do things. And I think if you sort of combine that with the idea of advertising, you could potentially see some really interesting ad formats and you could, you know, potentially see shoppable TV as well. So I think that's a really interesting thing to look out for. Um, and what I would hope is that we do see some great innovation. I think it was always inevitable that when it first launched, the advertising was simply going to be pre-roll, mid-roll, interruptive. You know, here is a message in the middle of your episode of something. Um, but I think as time goes on, we could well see, you know, really interesting options coming along. 
So is this then potentially a year of, of experimentation then for advertisers in, in what we've traditionally termed TV, but obviously now incorporates a sort of breadth of, of, of new platforms, but also then potential new formats? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, I think an awful lot of advertisers are already experimenting. And when we talk to people who are running a lot of um, a lot of TV campaigns, what they're talking about is, you know, effectively the efficiency of using an omni-channel DSP, an omni-channel ad ad planning and ad execution tool where, you know, you can tick on a box and then you've got a TV campaign, you can tick on another box and you've got an out-of-home campaign because effectively they're both branches of digital media now. And so essentially, you know, if you're if you're planning an online campaign, you can quite easily put assets onto onto other platforms. But then it's also really important to make sure that you're not simply repurposing, you know, an advert that you would have put on a on a website onto connected TV in the same way that, you know, when when YouTube first came along, a lot of people simply put their TV ads onto YouTube, but then people realized that it's a different format that you need to think about the advertising in a different way. And, you know, specifically with YouTube, it's about making sure that you say something really engaging, engaging in the first few seconds to grab people before the ability to skip comes along. So, yeah, there's an awful lot of experimentation going on at the moment. And I think some people are, you know, seeing real results with it as well. Okay, well, let's move on to our next stop on our alliterative journey through um, the 2020 media trends. And we're moving on to commerce, which obviously it's a huge area for, for brands and for media as well. Um, what have you got to tell us about commerce in, in the coming 12 months? Well, when we talked about um, content, we talked about content being you know where we spend our time and commerce is obviously where we spend our money. And there's a lot of interesting trends around commerce, specifically around things like how it's becoming much easier to buy things within social media. Um, you know, a lot of things like Instagram, TikTok uh, are now shoppable. And so it's, you know, it's, it's become less of a sort of conscious thing to decide to go to buy something. You could just see something and a minute later it's in your basket when you're scrolling through your feeds. But the one I really wanted to talk about to you is um, the rise of retail media. And by retail media, what we mean is is how advertising is now on a lot of the commerce sites that you visit. So when you go to Amazon, when you go to the supermarket sites, even when you go to uh, the Deliveroo app and the Uber app, what you see is advertising in, you know, within the content. Um, and I think this is, I mean, you know, this is something which has been going on for a few years, but it's only in the last few months or so that people I think have really woken up to the impact of it and woken up to how much of it is going on. I mean, it's reckoned that Amazon may be making as much as $40 billion this year in ad revenue. And, you know, when you think about um, advertising, it's, you know, it's not even Amazon's second biggest business model. It really is a sort of high, a side hustle for them. Um, and you can also see why it works so well in that um, when I visit a site like Amazon, I'm automatically assigned in user because I've set up an account. They've got my payment details and stuff. So, where they're able to offer advertisers you know potentially huge amounts of targeting opportunities based on you know where i live based on the sorts of things i've bought in the past potentially based on things like you know do i spend am i more likely to spend on a particular day of the month or, or things like that um 
but then also you're in a very brand safe environment. So if I go to a retail site, I'm unlikely to see anybody posting anything which is, you know, which is controversial, which obviously you can get on social media platforms. And then the other thing is it's, uh, you know, I'm automatically near to the point of purchase. So when I go to a site like Amazon, I'm, I've sort of got the mindset of I want to buy something. And so potentially getting me to add something else to my basket is, um, you know, is quite easy. And then by the same token, if um, if I see an advert for something and then I add it to the basket a couple of minutes later, then it's pretty provable that this is what actually drove the purchase decision. Whereas, again, if I'm advertising on uh, a social media platform or on a, a news site or something, I see an advert on Tuesday, I go and buy something on the Thursday. We don't quite know what could have happened in the two days in between. So for those reasons, um, the retail media sites are doing incredibly well and potentially um, taking revenue away from people like Meta and away from people like YouTube. And so when you when you think about the recent company results, that's definitely one explanation for one of the sorts of things which is happening. And the other thing to say about it is it's not only the opportunity to advertise, it's also the opportunity to do uh, partnerships where you get access to their data. So you can sort of see in aggregate who are the sort of people who buy the sort of products that you have or the sort of products your competitors have. And can you actually use that data to target campaigns off the platform or to understand more about the audience. So it's one of these things where, you know, in retrospect, it's totally obvious. And it's one of those ones where, um, you know, you didn't really see it much in people's trend reports last year, but I think in, in everybody's trend reports this year, there'll be a piece about retail media and a piece about how, um, you know, this is something which is is really growing and offering real opportunities to advertisers, particularly people like um, FMCG, CPG advertisers, because there's a lot of information within things like the supermarket online sites and stuff. It, it certainly feels like it has um, exploded this space over the last year or so. Um, you know, more retailers looking at, at opportunities for themselves, even some of the sort of apps, you know, the Ubers and Deliveroo's, et cetera, of, of this world as well. But um I'm interested in the, the the budget allocation side of it. You mentioned potentially that um, the likes of Amazon might be winning um, ad dollars from from some of the other social media companies. And I, I've read some some interesting um, articles lately, which suggested that it's almost becoming, you know, advertising has almost become like a, a tax of doing business and selling your products on on Amazon. If you don't advertise, then you're almost at a disadvantage. So. Uh, how do you think that marketers are going to sort of balance that in in the future where it's almost the difference between brand building and trade marketing as it used to be in the old you know bricks and mortar retail days well i think i mean there's always been a big discussion about the proportion between brand advertising and promotional advertising you know even within tv it was you know one idea within tv years and years ago was you have like a 30 second advert to to promote the brand and then you have a 10 second advert at the end of the break to say you know and it's 10 percent off at the moment or something like that so there's always there's always been that argument but i think what retail media brings is um sort of real you know real opportunity to, to prove how campaigns are working that may have been harder to show how they were working before um, because you're getting people you know so close to the point of purchase so close to the point of potentially adding something to their basket. 
Um, so I, I think that's really interesting. But then also, I think if we go back to the discussion we were having earlier about the state of the economy, I think traditionally when you get um, things like um, you know things like economic downturns, what you get is a lot of marketers shifting towards the things which are sort of very quantifiable in concrete effect that they're providing. So um, I think the the the, the Binet and Field idea of um, brand and performance was something like sixty percent brand, forty percent performance. And I think you're you know you're going to probably go more to more to the performance end as a result of the economy and as a result of marketers really trying to make sure that the advertising is working as hard as possible. Does it feel like we're in a, um, a, a I suppose, a boom um, moment for retail media? Obviously, there's a lot of people trying to get in, in involved in it. Some of the big US retailers, I think, in the UK, the likes of Boots, for instance, has, has launched its own media division as well, I believe. And is, is it going to be a challenge for all of these retailers to build successful and sustainable ad businesses or do you think there is actually a place for for, for a really wide breadth of of retail media owners well I, I think i think the first thing to say is it's not their only business model so i think they're competing with a lot of people where you know advertising provides 95 percent of their revenue so i think they have an advantage in that sort of respect but i think it's like anything you you know you get an awful lot of people competing for the same money some people will succeed some people won't i think one really interesting idea is the idea that apple could also get into the retail media space so we don't really think about apple as a retailer but apple does sell a huge amount through the app store for example and apple obviously has a huge amount of first party data on its users and they've also spent um you know put an awful lot in over the past few years trying to make it as hard as possible to target and advertise to people on Apple devices. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see what Apple might be planning in this space. And I've seen some recent stories, both that um, Apple are hiring, um, you know, sort of have quite, um, have quite ambitious hiring goals in terms of doubling their team to, 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 to create more advertising revenue but also that they're creating new advertising formats and new advertising units within things like the Apple News app. Um, so I think that's a really interesting one. I read somewhere, um, probably in the FT, that they were, I think they get something like $4 billion a year in ad revenue at the moment, Apple, without, um, you know, without especially trying. And I think, I think they have an ambition to double that. Um, so that could also be another really interesting opportunity um for advertisers in particular categories because obviously you know apple knows a huge amount about its about its listeners sorry about its um its users from things like the apps that they have downloaded or the podcasts they listen to or things like that so they could potentially come up with some really interesting um ad targeting opportunities but obviously do it in a very apple way a very sort of privacy safe way yeah, it certainly feels that Apple's going to be one of the companies to watch from a media standpoint next year. That they're, you know, they're making moves to um, to have an impact and, and and win some of that share of of budget. And I think that the privacy uh, angle with Apple is certainly the interesting one, isn't it? Because that's their their point of differentiation. Um, and I guess if they're going to be able to really compete in a way that suits their brand they are going to have to find a way of of doing the things that other companies do that in a perhaps way that the users are more comfortable with because 
perhaps as an Android user, you, you don't expect the same level of, of, of data privacy activity that one would as an Apple user. So it's I, th- I feel it's going to be a bit of a challenge for Apple, but it'd be fascinating to see how they do. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yes, I mean, they, they, they've sort of opened up to more advertising. They've created new formats and stuff. And I think already you see a few screenshots and tweets and things of people pushing back on it. But I do think that Apple you know, have a really strong ecosystem. They've got a really strong, um, really strong relationship with their client base. I mean, I think for a lot of iPhone owners, if they saw an ad that they thought was a little bit creepy, it wouldn't be enough to push them to switch to Android or anything. I mean, I, I say that as an Android user uh, personally, but, um, and, you know, we've, we've all had the experience certainly on, on laptops and things of you look at a pair of shoes or something like that, and then that pair of shoes just follows you around your laptop for the next <laughs> three weeks, three weeks or whatever. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Apple's going to be pretty um, determined to not let that sort of thing happen. Okay, and we're we're on to our final C in the three C's of uh, media trends in in 2023. We're looking at community now, um, and and what are you like to focus on here, then, Dan? So I think with community, um, the the three trends that we talk about here are um, it, it's really all about how people want to be part of something. I mean, particularly post pandemic, post lockdown, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I think it's really important to be, you know, to feel part of something to feel like a leaf on a tree you know sort of part of something bigger and the one i really wanted to talk to you about was um the 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 sort of the idea that social media has changed a lot in the last six months or so i mean you could almost argue that social media has changed more in the last six months than it did in the previous six years because you've got um you've got platforms like twitter platforms like instagram sort of belatedly um sort of copying and trying to you know trying to take tiktok on head on um and the whole, you know the great thing about tiktok the real um, usp of tiktok was it really doesn't matter who you follow and with all the with all the, the social platforms and the video platforms before that it was very much all about who you follow and seeing people you subscribe to seeing their content because that's what you've said you're interested in the the real innovation with tiktok was we're just going to show you some amazing content and over time, by the way you react to things, whether you like things, whether you make comments, whatever, we get to know what specific things you like. But even if you download TikTok, um, you know, the first time you use it, you can you can be with it for an hour quite easily, uh, simply because we're just going to show you some amazing content. Whereas if you try that with Twitter, or certainly if you tried that with Twitter a few years ago, it was pretty difficult because you weren't really following anybody. Nobody was following you there wasn't much of an experience. So now when I go onto Twitter, when I go onto Instagram, it feels like I'm just as likely to see a post from somebody I don't follow as I, as I am from somebody I do follow. And they put little thing, little explanations in like, um, you know, we thought you might be in this post or three of your friends like this tweet or something, and therefore it's showing it to you. And I think what we've seen um, is it now becoming much easier for things to go viral on those sorts of platforms. I think, um, you know, around major, certainly in, in the UK, around major news events in the last few months, there've been far more cases where somebody with a very low follower count has done a really interesting tweet or done a really, you know, made a really interesting joke or something. And then suddenly it's, you know, got 
50,000 likes or something. And this wouldn't have been as possible a few years ago. Obviously, stuff always used to go viral, but it feels like it's sort of much more democratic. And essentially, what this means is that um, social media, or certainly the organic social media, has really reverted much more to what is the content like? Is it creative? Is it relevant to me? Much more than, you know, how many followers has such and such an account got? Um, and so, I mean, you can you can sort of think about that in terms of the advertising as well. So a lot of a lot of brands advertise within social media because traditionally it's been very hard to get organic reach. But even if you advertise, you know, you're competing for attention with the really engaging content that it's chosen to show people whether they follow those accounts or not. So it just it just really says that um, when people are using social media, they really have to up their game on the sort of creative that they're producing, both organically and paid, um, because what they're competing with is, you know, the best of the best that the algorithms manage to find. A, a slight devil's advocate question here, if you don't mind. But um, the term social media, as you said, now that the, the algorithms have primacy in a way, and it's more about the algorithm than it is necessarily about who you follow or who you're connected to. Um, you know, certainly for TikTok, but increasingly for Instagram and some of the other platforms as well that you mentioned. Is the term itself, social media, starting to be a little redundant? I mean, I think all the big platforms have sort of, over the years, rejected rejected social media. I think Facebook quite early on said, we're not a social network, we're a connection platform, or we're a way of connecting the world or something like that. So I think I think social media is, you know, potentially one of these sort of quite useful phrases where everybody sort of knows what it means but then i also remember you know from years ago being in meetings and just sort of saying is is youtube really social media or is it a video platform or is it you know and i think i think most people you meet outside of the well i, I mean you know the phrase social media is used in all the newspapers and stuff like that but i think a lot of people you meet outside of the industry just think of it as an app or just think of it as a website or something and they don't sort of they don't really categorize the things that they use. They just see them as, you know, good place to go to for entertainment. And that's why, um, you know, Netflix talks about Fortnite being a competitor and, you know, TikTok is, I'm sure, a competitor to Netflix because I know a lot of people who basically watch an hour of TikTok every evening, you know, and that's an hour they could they could have been spending on Netflix or they could have been spending with the BBC or they could have been spending on Fortnite or whatever. So it's kind of... I, th I think in a lot of consumers' minds, these um, these these sort of categorizations don't really exist. Um, but it's just all, you know, sort of, it's almost like there's, there's an infinite loop of um, engaging content, whether it be Netflix introducing five new documentaries I want to watch every week or you know just an impossible amount of stuff on um on on youtube and, and tiktok and instagram and twitter and everything else and stuff so so yeah so i think i think it's social media is just this this term that that people came up with which is quite a useful catch-all term a quick question on on creators it feels like creators are becoming more and more central to, to what these platforms do and to building communities and attracting users um how do you think that, that their role is is uh, going to change and, and, and perhaps become more important in the coming 12 months? So so the, the traditional thing used to be, you know, when you think about long form con content, you would think about 
$5 million, $10 million, whatever, an hour. And then you think about creators as in, you know, just in their, their bedroom or their kitchen or whatever, just filming something on their phone. So effectively doing something for free. But I think you're sort of seeing creators now getting much, much higher budget. Um, and so I think you're, you're sort of seeing a bit of a blurring between, between those things. But also I think um, with, with creators, there's, um, it, it's, again, there's almost sort of infinite content. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the host was talking about how he spends an hour a day watching um, people streaming on Twitch. And a particular stream that he liked was, I, I've no idea, I, I, I'm totally taking him on, on face value that this thing actually exists, is that it, it's not just some huge wind up. But he, he, he reckons there are people who, you know, every night they, they effectively do improvisational comedy while they're playing um, Grand Theft Auto. And so you've got about a cast of about 30 people and they're each playing different characters within Grand Theft Auto and they're sort of running around talking to each other. And so, so there's almost infinite content in so many different niches on so many different platforms. We haven't talked about niche, uh, sorry, about Twitch at all, but that's, that's another world entirely where, again, you know, all human life is there. So I think for advertisers and marketers, it, it just becomes incredibly difficult because there are so many different uh, content creators out there on so many different platforms and you really have to understand what your brand is what the positioning of your brand is what sort of people you're trying to target and then what sort of things those people are into and um you know that there's there's almost infinite amounts of creator creator content out there and a lot of it is completely below the radar, almost by definition. Um, but you, you know, and you wait until maybe somebody talks about it on a on quite a mainstream podcast, or somebody writes a newspaper article about it, or you know, and and then and then suddenly people sort of realise that this this is a thing, and then you know, brands try to get involved in it. I mean, it was always sort of the thing with things like sportswear brands that if they found you know almost like a fanzine, like a self published magazine or something that people thought was cool. They wanted to be the first people advertising within it. So it's almost like um, like that, but reinvented for the creator age. It certainly feels like with each passing year, we talk about complexity, uh, growing complexity. Things are going to get more complex next year. And and and, and yet I, I, I feel like every year it, we achieve a higher level of complexity potentially for marketers and for, for media planners to try and understand. So it's... Um, it sounds like it's going to be an interesting year. Thank you so much, Dan, for, for joining us and, and for talking us through those themes. Thank you very much. Um, if you'd like more detail, Dan has written an article for Walk summarising the themes that we've discussed today. And you can download the full report on the Dentsu website. To make sure that you never miss an episode of the Walk podcast, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.